0: Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. Before we start, a quick thanks to our Patreons. We have a Patreon page now where you can support the show and become more involved. There's a dedicated Discord server where you can talk with us and the other Patreons about the movies we discuss. You can see what episodes are coming up next and just become more involved in the show. To learn more about that, you can check out patreon.com slash cinema of meaning. And now back to Memories of Murder. Thomas, what did you think about this movie? Why are we talking about it?
1: I think this is a classic, mm. probably. I would describe it as Bong Jun hos other yeah. masterpiece. Although I guess there's a couple different titles that could vie for that position. But in my mind, Parasite and Memories of Murder are the two films of his that have really just lodged themselves in my psyche somewhere it's a really well constructed film there's some great performances and cinematography in here i think this movie was the subject of an every hmm. frame a painting video yeah. from way back in the day and that's how i was initially introduced to it and the story also aligns kind of thematically with some other stuff we've discussed we've talked about Zodiac. And there's just Mm -hmm. a lot going on here in terms of what do you call it? Ontology. That's probably the wrong word, but the nature of where we find truth and how we find it and what actions we're willing to take based on Mm -hmm. evidence and what we consider evidence and all of those things framed within this context that is about how times are changing and kind of this old versus new conflict between these mm-hmm. two detectives. It's just a classic, like, serial yeah. killer detective buddy kind of mm-hmm. drama where there's the old guy who's got his ways of doing things and then the new guy comes in, he's got all these slick, you know, he's from mm-hmm. the big city, etc. But all of that twisted and jumbled up in only the way that, like, Bong Joon Ho Mm. really could. So that's a very (laughs) jumbled, scattered (laughs) explanation of what I love about this movie. It's kind of a hard one to talk about, I think, because for me, so much of this movie is really in these kind of smaller details that really unfold kind of as the movie goes along rather than Mm -hmm. like a few big things that hit you very quickly. It's kind of a movie that sneaks up on me as you go through it. I'm looking forward to discussing it. What's your experience with this? And what are your thoughts about Memories of Murder?
0: This was an interesting movie to revisit because I was initially hesitant to discuss it because we'd already done Zodiac. And in my memory, these were both like these kind of existential movies about, as you said, the nature of how we gather knowledge, how we find truth, or at least how we find some semblance of truth and both of which they are kind of articulated through this concept of the unsolved puzzle. In both cases, you know, there's murder mysteries that were at the time of filming unsolved because that's the funny thing about memories of murder. Apparently the case has been resolved in 2019. Oh, I yeah, didn't they, know that apparently they used like DNA analysis or DNA research. They managed to locate the perpetrator. He confessed and he is now imprisoned he's apparently yeah. not imprisoned for the actual murders that took place because there's like a statue of limitations that has expired so he cannot be prosecuted for those but apparently like there's some other stuff that they were able to prosecute him for so the mystery has been solved i guess which <laughs> could lead to an interesting sequel maybe or <laughs> but the, the right. other fun fact is that apparently the actual perpetrator he had seen the movie It's an interesting thing to talk about or to think about the way that Bon Jo Ho, he had that ending specifically aimed at the murderer and then to know or to know for sure now that the murderer has in fact seen that and stared into the detective's eyes in the, I would say, famous final shot of the movie. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about it. It's kind of a chilling thought to some extent, but... I guess it's nice that there's finally some piece in that matter. But yeah, as for the movie itself, what I didn't remember as much about it, why I wanted to talk about it anyways now, is that it's also so much more about the detective's process and the way they crossed lines, the way they cut corners, the way they made mistakes, rather than just the solving of the puzzle itself, which was more of Zodiac's focus. And as you said, there's a lot of... Interesting stuff going on here in the craft and the way Pan Jong-ho sets up scenes, the way he directs this whole movie in such a way that you become slowly entranced by it, that you really become immersed in it in a way that's just really captivating and in a way that you don't really see as much anymore today. It's very subtle, but yet at the same time, there's also a lot of stuff that feels, if you really dive into it, it's just really remarkable at how he pulled off certain shots or certain setups, even though it, as I said, they might appear quite simple on the surface. Yeah. So what do you think is a good place to start this?
1: We can dive in, I guess, kind of where it starts. We kind of open up with a body being found and there's a detective investigating. And this is in a more rural, poor part of South Korea. And the depiction of the police force and their attempts at investigation Mm -hmm. at the beginning are frankly pretty (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) Bong Joon-ho's kind of dark sense of humor is really coming through. And they're just an absolute mess. Like People are crawling over the crime scene. There's no sense of decorum. One of the big themes it sets up at the beginning that ends up becoming very important is the lead detective basically believes he can Mm -hmm. tell whether or not someone is lying to him or whether or not they're a criminal just by looking in their eyes. And he kind of has this, you know, I go by my gut approach to The detective work. And we also see that they just have really awful practices, basically. They're abusive as police officers. They operate on a hunch and very limited Mm -hmm. information. And then the lead detective, he'll believe that he has found the criminal. And then they just do whatever they can to coerce the confession out of that criminal.
0: Yeah, they're trying to kind of force reality into their story about it instead of the other way around, which is really interesting. But yeah, as you said, I love the opening scene where it's immediately established just the total chaos on the crime scenes and the way everyone's just crossing each other. Everything's going poorly and messy and just no structure to it, which kind of sets up immediately the inadequacy of the police department to some extent. I also wrote down like as one of the main thematic questions is, can you a monster Like, can you look someone in the face and see the true nature of that character? Is this someone bad? Is this someone good? Is that something that kind of shines through from the inside out? And yeah, as you said, the main character, his name was Detective Park. He is someone who is convinced that he can do that. And also kind of a superstitious person, as it is revealed later on. There's a point where they kind of, the leads dry up and they sacrifice some stuff to not a, I'm not sure if it's necessarily a religious custom but more a superstition
1: right he goes to like yeah. a shaman and she sells him a like mm-hmm. a charm or whatever that they're doing
0: yeah I saw that a lot when I traveled to Vietnam where they're not religious in the sense that Westerners or Christians tend to be religious but they do tend to be very like superstitious which is interesting. And you saw that reflected in this movie up to a little bit. But yeah, I think the more interesting part, at least in relation to the story and what it kind of says about the whole case and the whole process in general of solving this mystery and trying to resolve a murder is, as you said, it's the way the police kind of crosses the boundaries. Like again and again, they'll grab suspects with like the fewest hints or the fewest clues that might connect them to the case and at first it does immediately seem like they did indeed catch the perpetrator because he's reciting like crime scene details and then only later it's revealed it's been rehearsed beforehand and they just fed him the story. I didn't remember how serious it was about kind of this police brutality and the way it really emphasized the inadequacy that kind of follows the almost maliciousness of the police force in this sense in this situation. Yeah. Because it is, on, when you watch this movie for the first time, there's a lot of it that's kind of presented in a rather lighthearted way, like the way that one officer keeps like jump kicking everyone at the first sign of one' like <laughs> yeah, riled yeah. up a little bit. He just flares up and kicks someone in the head. And on first viewing and even on second viewing, those moments are kind of funny, but it's also, once you look beyond that, there's a really serious structural issue that's being presented here with regards to how the police relate themselves to. Their community, really, because they grab a number yeah. of suspects and they kind of do a number on all of them. And apparently in real life, quite a number of the detectives that were involved in the case ended up being arrested and prosecuted for their malfunctions and the torture of suspects and all that stuff. I'm not sure if it's the characters that's presented in the movie, but there's a whole aftermath to this story that's kind of interesting if you really dive into it. And also, for example, there was a number of the suspects who were captured by the police and then later released. They ended up with such a trauma that they ended up killing themselves. Just to emphasize, like, there's a whole lot of serious stuff going on here with regards to the police behavior, which I'd almost forgotten about until I rewatched it again. But to me now, it does kind of jump out as one of the more important elements also in what it's thematically saying, I think.
1: Yeah, it really is kind of about how these police officers buy into a narrative for whatever reason, And then they're willing to operate kind of impunitively based on that Mm -hmm. instinct or evidence. I mean, that's ultimately the conflict. We haven't gotten to kind of the new detective who comes in and sort of the arc of both detectives. We'll dig into that a little bit, but that ends up becoming sort of the conflict there. Well, ultimately, the new guy, we'll get to that. I want to talk a little bit more about this stuff. I think one of the things I noticed this time around that I wasn't as aware of the first time is the connection. And I'm not super up to speed on all the historical cultural context. That's probably Mm -hmm. obvious if you're South Korean watching this, but there's definitely a connection between the More specific instances of police brutality that they're highlighting in this movie, and the stuff that's kind of happening in the background of the movie as we go through it. There's scenes where there's Mm -hmm. protests and the police are kind of shown suppressing protesters. There's a scene where a fight breaks out in the bar because some of the people in the town are insulting the detectives. There's this connection between Kind of how these individual police officers deal with suspects and their community with this broader dynamic of how people are being treated by the Korean government in Korea. Mm-hmm. And some of that's over my head, but just watching it, even not knowing that, I saw much more clearly this time how Bong is placing kind of yep. in the background these allusions to different things that are happening on a broader level in the country and connecting dots Mm -hmm. between kind of how the police are behaving and those things which i think is really interesting
0: yeah i noticed that too and i even thought like this weirdly stands out in a way because the scene that you mentioned the protest scene i think that's one of the scenes where you see the jump kicking guy he's also part of that and he's also fighting against citizens but that's a scene that only lasts for like a few seconds maybe like barely a minute so I was already wondering like yeah, why yeah, it's, it's a pretty contained movie like why spend all that budget on this big set piece with these protests and these big police forces if you're only going to use it for like a minute and even in a way that does not directly relate to the plot because the protests that are going on they have nothing to do with the murder case if I remember correctly they're not protests in response yeah.
1: to what's going on it's literally just like mm-hmm. a background element yeah. of the story. But
0: yeah, as you said like it has to bear some significance like I can imagine if I'm a movie maker I have a budget to spend like I am going to want to spend it on stuff that's significant to the story. So in some way I can imagine that Bong Joon-ho wanted this to mean something or wanted it to say something instead of just having like a yeah energetic insert or like almost like a background shot
1: when the new detective comes onto the scene who shows up and he's walking down the road from where he arrived or the train or bus station or wherever, and this woman is spooked by him because the women in the town are paranoid because these killings have been happening and she falls down and they kind of accidentally get into this tussle and detective park Drives by and sees this happening, and ironically starts out by drop kicking mm. the, the new detective in the face, which sets up this conflict mm-hmm. between them that embodies, like I said, this kind of two detectives who are at odds with each other, and one kind of represents the old and one represents mm-hmm. the new, is a little bit of like a trope at this point. We've seen that a bunch of times, but it's beautifully set up here and they really do kind of butt heads as we got this new guy who he is not superstitious. He's looking at the evidence. He's not in support of the more coercive techniques that they're using, at least Mm -hmm. at first, because he doesn't believe that the suspects that they're bringing in are the actual murders because he's kind of looking at forensic evidence. And so I think there's a really interesting thematic dichotomy that's being set up there, not just between the way rural Korea would have been left in the past by the rapidly developing cities, but also just kind of tradition and instinct and kind of knowledge of Mm -hmm. a place and all the things that the first detective is operating from. And this new guy comes in, and I think he even says at one point, like, documents tell no can't lie or something like that. Or documents always tell the truth. So there's very much this like modernity versus a more traditional historic Mm -hmm. type of knowledge being set up in direct conflict with one another. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm just thinking about how that plays along as the movie progresses, because there is a sort of, I guess, both sides of that story, like both Detective Park and the new guy, they both come to confront the limitations of their own perspectives. Yes. Because with the case of Park, he kind of gets out of touch with his own instincts. Like he's no longer, at the end, he's no longer as convinced that he, as he said at the beginning, can tell a monster. Like he can see the evil in the person's eyes. And that's kind of his struggle that ends up being like, or that's kind of broken open by this whole case. Whereas for the new guy, he kind of comes in more emotionally detached and rational, like distant. But he, too, can't help but becoming attached to the community and, like, the people within it. And when the case then takes away one of those people, like, there's, at the end, there's a schoolgirl that he interacted with that is one of the final victims. And that's when he, too, snaps. Like, that's when he yeah. also has a narrative in his mind with someone who he thinks is the murderer. But before the results can in, he sent, like, a DNA sample to the United States for review or for testing. But before he gets the results, he kind of snaps and launches himself at this person who then also is revealed to be innocent. It's just an interesting way that the unresolved murder case becomes this kind of catalyst for all these characters to kind of confront their own limited perspectives on the world and kind of the limitations of their own agency within it to some extent.
1: I really love the way all of this progresses. And this is kind of where it reminds me of Zodiac, where you have this series of kind of different leads that ultimately just dead end. And it really makes the viewing experience kind of every time you get a little bit invested in, he really plays with each time there's a new revelation, especially in this, this is one way it differs, I think, from Zodiac. Each time you have a new revelation, the evidence is a little bit more Mm -hmm. strong. It's like they start out with a fake footprint that they've put in the mud and a coarse confession, and then eventually they have a real footprint, and then they have a witness. And each time that shown as kind of this imperfect, it doesn't tell the whole story. And then ultimately, they have physical, like written evidence for the new detective, CO, he finally has kind of his document and they're sending off for DNA tests, which is sort of, you know, the ultimate thing. But now we've passed over the threshold with that evidence. When they find the postcard, they've passed over the threshold of, you know, now he has a document and that doesn't lie. And so he becomes Mm -hmm. convinced, in addition to what you're saying, where he's also become more emotionally invested. And so at this point, he's willing to kind of enact justice himself because he's like, it doesn't matter if we operate within the boundaries of the law. I know the truth. And so I'm willing to enact justice myself because I'm so sure of that. But the interesting twist here, and I think the really beautiful thing about this story is that coincides with park's own deconstruction of that way of operating and park's been on this path of at the beginning he trusts his own eyes and every time he thinks he knows the killer he's willing to go and just do whatever it takes to enact justice but that keeps failing him again and again throughout the film and so by the time the new detective is willing to do that park is standing here going this isn't the way And he's the one holding him back from behaving within that personal agency of I know the truth. Which I think is a really interesting move because it's almost like Bong Joon-ho isn't just critiquing like, oh, the old ways are bad and superstitious. He's doing that. And kind of simultaneously also showing just the limitations of humanity as a whole. And it's not just like, oh, documents and new modern techniques are, they are better. They're better than (laughs) punching the first person you suspect and kicking them, beating them up, and hanging them up. But they are still ultimately fallible or incomplete Mm -hmm. and still don't give you a perfect objective viewpoint of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think there's also an, another element there in Park's eventual revelation or his coming to terms with the errors in his ways, so to say, which is also why I think the whole police brutality or the police misconduct in general is so thematically relevant because, as you said, one of the thematic questions that set up is, can you tell evil? Basically, can we see that in a person? And right. that's kind of the irony is that the police is not... Looking in the mirror when it comes to that question, they're in the process of catching this evil person. They kind of fail to see that they're becoming not like the villain, but they're definitely becoming morally corrupted to some extent. And especially when you consider, which is not shown in the movie, but which happened apparently in real life, that some of the suspects who were turned out to be innocent ended up killing themselves. You can even argue that the police also ended up becoming murderers to some extent in some way. The other part of that revelation, I think, comes from the fact that their misconduct also actively sabotaged the actual investigation or the actual coming closer to the truth. Because there's a lot of elements, I think most notably towards the end, where one of the initial suspects turned out to be a witness to the murderer. And so they're trying to get that extra bit of information, but because they come in too hard as they always do and because they had already traumatized this person like the whole thing goes astray and he ends up in front of a train like they end up accidentally killing this witness which pretty much kills this clue for them which could have been like the last missing piece to put this together or to get some closure so in that sense they've really sabotaged themselves along the way by trying to push the story in a direction that was convenient to
1: them And the fact that there's two kind of scenes that mirror themselves where you have Park Gwangho, I think is his name, the first suspect who ends up being a witness. He tries to save him from the train, but is unable to. And like you're saying, Mm -hmm. that's a big part of his shift. And then not long after that, we get the scene where they have this new suspect. They have the best proof that they've had that it's him. There's been a new murder. The new detective is fired up about it he's ready to kill this guy and again there's a scene with a train and park saves this guy Mm -hmm. from the train so there's kind of a direct response there of him saying i've learned this lesson of this is not how we should operate or you're going to regret this he has some
0: like symbolic or there's a clear connection between those there's also like a nice bit of i wouldn't know if that's called Poetic Justice, but the guy who jump kicks everyone, he ends up being hit in the leg with this iron nail, or like this piece of wood with an iron nail, which gets infected and gets his kicking leg amputated in the end. Yeah, Seems like super obvious bit of karma there, but... (laughs) <laughs> I do think it fits the overall it's, uh, it's maybe, the oh, overall
1: story. Is the symbolism too on the nose if we're saying the kicking leg of the police gets infected yeah. because of... And it becomes infected because of the retaliation from the witness mm-hmm. that he beat up one of the witnesses that he kicks. So, yeah. I mean, Bong Joon-ho, yeah. you know, that's his... M.O. is not necessarily <laughs> the subtlest of, you know, symbolic commentary or whatever, but... But like, I don't know if I necessarily thought about that the first mm-hmm. time I watched this because he presents it all in this very naturalistic way as you go. It's, it's kind not, of understated it is like, still.
0: Because I, 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 I like have... that it's
1: not... Yeah, yeah, His yeah. leg doesn't
0: get chopped off in some dramatic moment. He gets hit and then he still yes. re- he refuses to get treatment and then it's still because of his own dumb fault right. that he gets infected and then it yeah, needs yeah. amputation. Which it just kind of hammers it home. that It would have been
1: fine, but... This it's... is really his own
0: doing instead of... Just some accident that happened to him.
1: And the reason he's lashing out and gets in that fight where he gets stabbed in the leg with the nail is because he's kicked somebody yet again after the police chief is like, no more attacking the suspects. There's this amazing scene where the police chief is like, you can't do this anymore and kicks him down a flight of stairs. So there's this like illustration too of, I don't know, it's not just this one guy who goes around dropkicking people. And that's the problem here. It's evocative of a much more systemic kind of abusive system that continually perpetuates itself, I think.
0: So how do you think what's the final judgment that this movie has? The nature of justice, maybe to some extent, or it's interesting to consider now that the case has been resolved, that the movie had to end in a place where it wasn't. I'm just thinking about what that could mean like thematically for the movie because it doesn't end really with a sense that a lot has changed. Like the movie obviously ends with the murderer still being at large and we meet up with him years later and he goes to visit the initial crime scene where he learns from this little kid that that there was a man like not long before him that came there to have a look, which is supposedly the actual murderer. And he asks her, oh, what do you look like? And she's just like, oh, he's... You know, it was just ordinary looking, which kind of nicely, I think, yeah. wraps up the whole thematic arc of evil people being this distinct entity that you can spot or at least that you can develop a skill for to pick them out. And it's instead like after all this buildup, after yeah. all these gruesome murders, it's just like an ordinary looking guy. He's not someone who has like a special fire in his eyes that you can tell or yeah. just the kind of the final nail in the coffin for park's philosophy that you can always judge a person just by staring them deeply in the eyes and yeah which again also reflects i think on the nature of their own behavior during that whole period and the way that they thought themselves to be just the ordinary people or even like the heroes in the story even though they may have been actually like wrongdoers yeah as
1: well This episode of Cinema of Meaning is sponsored by Mubi. Mubi is an online, hand-curated streaming cinema with an excellent collection of movies from all around the world. They're constantly adding movies to the library all the time. But the one that I want to recommend for listeners of this episode is Lee Chang-dong's Burning. This is a more recent, amazing film from South Korea that I think kind of in some ways explores a similar location and covers some of the same thematic territory in terms of what's going on in the background of this film and in terms of location. You can check out Burning right now in the U.S. on Mubi or explore all the other fantastic indie favorites, international films, classics that they have available. Get access to those when you sign up for our extended 30-day free trial by going to Mubi.com slash Cinema of Meaning. I mean, I think you're right there that it's kind of deconstructing that impulse. You know, knowing that the murder was solved, I don't know how that impacts the film Hmm. thematically. It kind of takes away some of the ambiguity, which I thought, you know, I think the first time I watched this, I thought that's more what it was about was kind of the impossibility of solving Mm -hmm. this case or the ambiguity or having to live with never having solved it. But I think watching it this time and, you know, talking about these things with you, I think it is much more about kind of the theme that you're pointing to, which is this idea of being able to recognize evil and being able to recognize that in yourself. And so I don't know if finding out that they catch him eventually takes too much away from it. probably not. If they had caught him at the very end of the movie, it's not as strong Mm. an ending, but I don't think the fact that they never catch him is as important to the ending as the fact that he's kind of still out there and they just have to live with it at that moment. And for Detective Park, he's having to kind of confront the fact and live with the fact that he's maybe still out there because of his own failures, Mm -hmm. his own misconduct, misdeeds, or wrongdoing, or whatever. I think that's the more crucial element kind of...
0: Yeah, this for me was one of the few detective movies where I was actually really okay with them not solving the case in the end. Because even with Zodiac, I still watch that movie with like a hint of disappointment at the end because I want that confirmation (laughs) that you're not really getting. The movie makes a suggestion, but it's not certain. But with Memories of Murder, for me, I really feel at the end that it's really not about the murder or the identity of the murderer. It's more about what kind of person he appeared to be to the outside. Like he was just, because they are constructing like this image of like this deeply evil monster who does all these absolutely like horrifying things to these women because they really go into the whole process with regards to what the murderer actually does to all these women, which is pretty, you know, shocking and pretty vile, basically. So you really, as a viewer too, you really start to think like, oh, what kind of messed up dude is this? And like, how does he just walk around normally not like radiating evil from himself? Like, (laughs) yeah, right, right. Kind of that's, I think, is the image that's kind of deconstructed at the end where it's not just the idea that monsters are just not these kind of special standout type people, not necessarily at least, but they can also just be by all accounts like normal people People walking among us, acting like us, living alongside us. And yeah. all the while, we do not know what's really going on inside them and what they might really do, like out in the shadows. And I think that's also what makes yeah. the ending pretty, like, scary in a way. Like, there's a terrifying aspect to that realization at the end where you've been hunting this monster for a good part of your career. And then there's this little girl that says, like, you know, he's just some ordinary, plain looking dude. Which means that, you know, especially interesting because it's said by this little girl who travels by that place a lot. And so the way she says it with this kind of nonchalance, it just implies that she had no fear or suspicion towards him at all. Which just adds to that whole layer of this person kind of was able to move around without suspicion, without attracting or invoking fear or suspicion or whatever. That to me is what makes this movie still very... Effective, regardless of yeah. the fact that they ended up resolving it. I think it's more the um, fact that there was an kind of an aftermath with regards to the police victims that's kind of right. undershadowed now in the movie. Or at least to me, it feels like there's a part of the story there that's missing, even though the movie does effectively communicate that police efforts led to the failure of the case being resolved and led to actual harm being right. done to these innocent people or who turned out to be innocent people, but it doesn't really show like the long lasting impact of what this trauma really meant for these people. And I'm not sure how obvious that was back when this movie was made or that's something that only came out after the movie was released. But I wonder if there was more room for more explicitly involved that and maybe even the hint at the future prosecution of these investigators. That's kind of nitpicky stuff on my end.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We haven't said about the final shot, which I think like the subtext is pretty clear, Mm -hmm. but just in case there's somebody listening to this who didn't put the pieces together. But I think that ending of, we get Park looking at the camera at the end, which also to me is very, this kind of fourth wall breaking, Mm -hmm. chilling reminder. It's almost as if he looks to the audience, looks into you, and it's kind of raising the question of, hey, Mm -hmm. ordinary people out there watching this, because most of us would, probably consider ourselves that way. Are you the murderer, or is he out there watching this? Which you alluded to at the beginning. We later found out. We have now know that he actually was, which is kind of is wild. But I think that whole dichotomy that it's talking about there, or that impulse to think that people who do stuff like this radiate some kind of evil that we could easily detect, I think is actually a very pervasive belief Mm -hmm. that people have. I've watched enough true crime stuff or seen enough discussions surrounding a lot of like true crime documentaries. A big part of why I think they do so well or there's such a fascination with them is that a lot of times the draw to some of these true crime documentaries, especially that feature the actual suspect, a lot of the draw to them is not, hey, let's look at all this forensic evidence and talk about, you know, does it actually add up to? It's this sense of, I'm going to be able to look at Stephen Avery or whoever it is, and I might be able to tell just by looking at them, like, are they a killer? And I think that's a fascinating impulse to examine because really a lot of it I think is a mechanism that we build up. We feel safer when we do that because then we believe I'd be able to tell if Mm -hmm. somebody's really evil. But then it also, you've already kind of mentioned this with the police not being able to do this with themselves, But it also is a technique kind of that we use to separate ourselves from evil, quote unquote, like there's ordinary people like Mm -hmm. myself, they might do bad stuff sometimes, but they mean well. And then there's evil, vile people, and we can tell those people are bad just by looking at them. And that belief that we carry is a good system of judgment that we can use to kind of Mm -hmm. separate ourselves completely from moral wrongdoing or keep ourselves from having to examine our own complicity in wrongdoing or our own, you know, moral culpability.
0: Yeah, it's definitely strange how, especially it feels like in the recent years, it's been happening more where serial killers are kind of treated like celebrities and there's more shows about them with actors portraying these figures as they would like a joker or some other villain with it's treated as some kind of prestige role where they really dive into the skin of this messed up figure and i think netflix released a show like that recently i'm forgetting the name of it i haven't seen it yet Dahmer, something?
1: Yeah. Dahmer, yeah. There's the Dahmer show. Blackbird is also one that came out Mm -hmm. this year on Apple TV Plus, I think, about another guy performed really well. I haven't seen the Dahmer one, but I would say, like, about Blackbird, the performance, the way that performance is done, it kind of reinforces this narrative because the way some of these characters are performed. They're performed in a way to elicit that kind of like, oh, yeah, they are evil. Like, mm-hmm. Ooh, we can just feel the <laughs> yeah. evil kind of dripping off of them like on the screen. And that's one of the things I always loved about at least what Mindhunter did with some of <laughs> the performances where you have my second most viewed video of all time is an old one comparing Cameron Britton, I think is his name's performance of Ed Kemper to like real life recordings of Mm. Ed Kemper. And if you will watch the real Ed Kemper, I mean, maybe some people say this, but like to me, he fits that bill perfectly of just being like, yeah, this is just an ordinary looking guy. You would never in a hundred years guess, you know, the horrific stuff that that guy did just by like, you know, looking in his eyes. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. True crime media has like a really weird relationship to this yeah. kind of.
0: Yeah, I'm not really into it myself. I liked Mindhunter, but yeah, I much prefer movies like this one that really kind of deconstruct it and yeah. just tell a good story because I do think at the end of the day, it's also just a really good character drama. We talked about the main characters, how they have different and conflicting viewpoints. They evolve nicely over time and might be a good point to kind of transition into the craft of this movie, which I also really want to talk about because I like that it's such an ensemble piece almost. There's very little scenes where there's just one or two characters on the screen. There's a lot of moments and whole sequences where they're continuously staging like multiple characters in a single shot or or a single scene. You mentioned the Every Frame of Painting video at the beginning. Yeah. I'm not sure if I remember that one correctly. I think that's the one on the diner scene, right? Where you have these two detectives being drunk after like a night of karaoke. They're kind of getting into a struggle while the captain is passed out on the couch behind them and it's all one yeah. shot, one take. And then after like a few minutes, the captain suddenly jumps up and he starts throwing up. And it's kind of a funny scene, but it's a moment like that that had me going like, oh, so wait, that actor had to lie there for like two minutes with the vomit like ready in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, I'm guessing they do that. They just drink something and then they spew it out. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things that really added such a strong sense of place to this world. Also, the way you look at yeah. pretty much every shot I started to notice has either lots of depth behind it or lots of movement or lots of, texture or other characters or like a combination of all that yeah. and it just really made every yeah. shot feel very vibrant very like on location so to say it's not just a studio that was thrown together in a few days or not some kind of lot that was built just for that occasion It felt like they were in actual places doing actual detective work or just it really felt like it took yeah. place in an actual place so i'd say
1: yeah Memories of a Murder, if you look it up on every frame of painting, it's just called Memories of a Murder 2003 Ensemble Mm -hmm. Staging. He breaks down all of that stuff in that video. One of the things he highlights, which I love, is kind of how you can see the transition over time of the new detective coming in. And at first, he's kind of out in the fringes or hanging out in the corner. And if you watch kind of the progression of these shots where all the detectives are together in one frame, he kind of slowly moves forward into the center until eventually he's the one kind of leading the investigation and the guy who does the drop kicks is kind of pushed into the background so there's like visually you see the kind of progression of Mm -hmm. what's happening just in how the characters are staged but yeah there's what you're saying too I think is so true this is kind of a masterclass in showcasing a location and really presenting it in a rich way like we feel the Fields become such a character, mm. the paddies. You kind of start to get this sense mm-hmm. of the landscape. The weather and the climate. sort of is important and <laughs> the weather and the factories that are there. Yeah, it's all just really beautifully articulated on screen. There's one shot that I noticed this time, that amazing scene where the woman is in the rain in the umbrella oh, yeah. and she's walking down and you see the head yeah. pop up in the background, which is just terrifying. But then she's spooked and she's Kind of scanning the grass and it's blowing in the wind in such a way that you really couldn't tell if he was moving through it because it would be covered over by the wind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had fans there blowing it or whatever, but it's such a beautiful piece of design for a scene to make it so unsettling mm-hmm. if you're actually there trying to figure out if he's in the grass and you can't because it's all moved. Yeah. yeah, it's so many details like that are perfectly mm-hmm. constructed. And this is where, to me, it kind of is, like, vying for top position as one of Bong Joon-ho's films. Even though I think, like, Parasite is maybe a more entertaining movie, Mm -hmm. ultimately. Or, like, I've watched it more times and I'm just so invested in that movie when I watch it. But every shot of this film is constructed in such a soft way, too. Like, it doesn't come out and announce the, like, "Oh, we're going to have really impressive, cool Mm -hmm. cinematography in this movie. It
0: it feels... Deceptively like naturalistic, even though it's actually pretty yes. meticulously structured. The one yeah. thing that hit me right at the beginning of the movie, watching it this time, is that it's not only set in the 80s, but it also kind of feels like an 80s movie where it has these synthesizer right. music and it's not necessarily like color graded, I think, to match the 80s aesthetic, but it's just ever so slightly. Kind of dehanced in a way that makes it a bit more gritty, I guess, compared to Parasite. Parasite is a very clean movie compared to this one, I would say, which is, I guess, a deliberate choice. But there's other little stuff too. Like one thing I noticed this time around, we talked about the chaos on the crime scene at the beginning, and there's a lot of ways that Bang Jung-ho really emphasizes the chaotic nature of the police force in this movie. That's, for example. There's one shot where they are in a restaurant and then four of them, I think, sitting in one shot. And then there's a waitress that comes into the scene. And the detective, I'm I'm forgetting which one it is, but the detective on the left, he kind of hits that person and he spills some soup. And at the same time, the chief inspector on the right, he's trying to kind of break apart his chopping sticks, but he breaks them. So there's like two two <laughs> yes, little yeah, accidents yeah, yeah. that happen right <laughs> at the same moment. Because it's all in one yeah. shot. You don't know where to focus your eye. You really feel the visual chaos that's going on, but that's also kind of what their experiences must have been like at that moment and just the general police work that they kind of encountered there. This it's just like a small little way in which you can really bring an audience into the kind of headspace of the characters instead of just the kind of being this neutral observer from the outside. Which is an issue that we've also talked about for a variety of movies. The way the kind of the distinction between just pointing the camera and shooting or using the camera or just the general filmmaking characteristics to really capture a subjective
1: experience. Yeah. It's weird because we kind of think of the distinction in cinematography, I think a lot of times as being between like realism and like a more stylized Mm -hmm. approach. But this is a very formalistic, different people have different definitions, but the definition I like of formalism in cinematography is when like camera movement and composition and stuff are being used specifically to do what you're saying, like try to evoke a perspective or you're creating emotion with how you move the camera or how you compose a thing. The camera is not just trying to be this passive observer, which I would tend to call more like naturalistic, but As we already kind of mentioned, something about the way I guess it looks and the subtlety with which Mm -hmm. he's presenting a lot of things, it really feels naturalistic, even though there's so much going on here that is clearly these very specific, intentional things, which is something I love so much.
0: Yeah, it's something you also really, the scene you mentioned with the woman in the umbrella, like the one shot that's still burned into my brain is to where she starts running and then there's this split second where you see him kind of almost like an animal, like attacking like out of the grass and he kind of climbs up. Yeah. It's like almost like a tiger who he's like on all fours and climbing up. And yeah. it's just like a second and the movement is so fast because she's pointing the flashlight forward. So he is like lit up and yeah. I don't know, it just feels like this horrific image of what must have been like one of the final <laughs> yeah, yeah. things that she saw in her life yeah. before it tragically ends. And there's a lot of shots like that that still kind of haunt me, even though I've seen other films since I've rewatched this one. But yeah, it's still a very evocative one.
1: Yeah. One question I have, there's this, I don't know if symbolic, there's this mirror echoing between the first scene and the last scene, which both take place out in these fields by the culvert where the body is found. And in the first scene, Mm -hmm. he's investigating, there's kids running all around, which is another thing that I think is We already talked about how the conflict between the police and protesters is in the background of this movie there's also this background element of the children in both the first two bodies that they find there's just like kids running Mm -hmm. around while the body is laying there in the field there's very much this feeling of like the children are just kind of acclimated to this horror or whatever but anyway that's not what Mm -hmm. i was going to mention in the first scene You have this one kid who's just kind of mocking and mimicking the detective and is repeating what he's saying. And then you get to the end and you have another child and he has another interaction with a child. But it's very different. She is helpful and is able to actually give him useful information about what happened. I was just curious if you had any thoughts about that or you think that means anything specific Mm -hmm. besides just being kind of a progression from the beginning to the end of the film i hadn't really thought about that
0: i have to admit but i guess it does resonate with the whole arc of him at the beginning being this stubborn police officer who's probably disliked to some extent or maybe even like feared by the community because of what they're capable of or the lengths that they're willing to go through like i can imagine the community knows about what the police is like in their neighborhood Yeah. But towards the end or at the final scene I think that's for one I think he's there as a does he say
1: yeah. He's not a police officer anymore. Yeah I was going to say he's there
0: as a citizen right. He's not there as a police officer. Yeah. It's a fitting like echo of where the character was at the beginning and where he is now. It's a good catch because it's not one that I really considered. Aside from like there's already such an obvious visual because it starts at that location it ends in the same location. Resonant. The characters are in different places and you know there's an element of nostalgia also. Because of that, I didn't really pay as much attention to what specifically went on in those opening and closing scenes of the movie.
1: I only noticed it this time, so I was just curious if you had a take on that. But I think because of how central sort of the police conduct and the relationship between the community and the police is to this film, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a big part of it, is just kind of the what you said the change in dynamic there because he's no longer operating as a police mm-hmm. officer but it also just might be more of an intuitive kind of yeah. like i mean
0: now that you've said it i'm kind of like over analyzing it in my head because you could argue <laughs> that at the beginning like he yes, still yeah he is at the same time trying to get other people to say what he's saying because he's rehearsing this story with his suspects right or his alleged suspects and so The kid is kind of mimicking that by saying what he's saying, but it's also already immediately establishing that that's not helpful. Like in that scene, it's not helping him forward. And then later when he's trying to force his story and get his victims or his suspects to repeat it, it also ends up being unhelpful. So that might also be like a very short revelation of what his dynamic is going to be with the other suspects in the rest of the movie. Yeah.
1: I'll, I like that. I'll take that. That's a, that's a good a, as good a read as any. I think on that. Maybe even if yeah. Bong Joon Ho didn't intend that, I think you know it's there in the. That's what we here so. for. Yeah. So. <laughs> I just <laughs> I always the first time I watched it, I was fascinated by that opening. I think it's such a like frustrating mm-hmm. and hilarious kind of way to open the film. But I hadn't made the connection before to the girl at the end until this time. So.
0: Any final thoughts on the film?
1: I'm glad we decided to talk about mm. this anyway, because it's more distinct from Zodiac than I think yeah. I remembered it being. It's probably an overgeneralization to even compare them. I think that comparison just arises because they're both about mm. unsolved cases. But besides that, I think they yeah. end up exploring very different territory.
0: Yeah, they're still both
1: two of my favorites
0: within the genre and i think yes so,
1: yeah it's a solid double feature if you're in the mood for
0: these kind of movies then these are some solid picks
1: yeah if you're <laughs> in the mood for three or four consecutive hours of <laughs> of being yeah. like oh no they they were so existential close existential dread <laughs> and murder mysteries so. <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah this is a fantastic film it's one of my favorites from bong and i think it's one that i'll probably just revisit periodically every mm-hmm. couple years or so because I think it's so rich you could watch this a bunch of times and keep getting fresh details out of it yeah
0: yeah and in addition to that I would say it's just a great
1: mood piece it's really it's a movie that really
0: yeah effectively establishes an atmosphere that's just very compelling and very emotionally resonant in a way that makes it a fun movie or not, maybe not fun but at least a captivating movie to revisit every now and then yeah Well, thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show, be sure to check us out on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can experience our podcast ad-free, listen to all of our episodes a week early, and get access to monthly bonus episodes. This month, that's going to be James Cameron's Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Before that, we've also covered the new All Quiet on the Western Front, Upstream Color, Alien Covenant, Drive, and many others. So you're really getting a whole new catalog of episodes. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for CuriosityStream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more, visit curiositystream.com slash cinema or just follow the link in the show notes. And we'll see you again next time.